Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 32, Breaking the Chains of Anxiety, where we talk to a woman who's no stranger to us. She is an anxiety and life coach here to help unleash your potential and help you take up your space unapologetically. Miss Melanie, welcome. Oh my gosh, how fun. It's so nice to be here. Gosh, I just, I want to express how grateful I am for women like you blazing a trail to create space for these kinds of conversations because that's how the stigmas just there's no space for them you know what I mean so just want to really honor what you guys are doing it's huge oh thanks Mel well this is exciting for us I mean this is a conversation that I think rings true to both Stephanie and I in a little bit of different ways. And I'm sure that it affects other women that are listening as well, because it's just not something that I think, I don't know, it came into play a little later. Like I wasn't brought up with the idea of anxiety, but we'll get into that. So my first question always is what made you get into this field? Okay. So my story is deep. It comes from personal experience, living with anxiety and depression, what was later diagnosed as PTSD, having no idea really what any of those things were, how to articulate what I was feeling, what my needs were, my concerns, just lacking personal and emotional maturity at the young age, and then also lacking understanding of what it was to even know how to begin a conversation about it. For me, you know, like I said, there's, there's layers to my story, but you know, the unhealthy coping mechanisms came into play. So I ended up with an opioid addiction. Having back problems gave me access to a plethora of opioids. And then with time starting to have conversations about things that were going on, I felt like I was just a guinea pig. Oh, here's this medicine. Here's this medicine. Try this. Let's add this. Let's increase this. Let's remove this and put this in. So my nightstand drawer looked like a pharmacy and it got to the point where I started to get very creative with concoctions. Oh, I, this makes me feel numb. You know, like I'm not shaking. I don't have the heart palpitations. I'm not excessively worrying and fearful or our marriage was struggling. So, you know, a lot of times he's very loud. I always interpreted it as yelling at me, but he's just loud. So I understand that now and we work well. And if he's getting too loud, I'll stop him. But the pills that I was taking, the voice would go in, but it didn't ricochet as loud. So I felt like I had control. So that happened. And then it just got to a point where, you know, I'm showing up and doing so much for other people, never doing anything for my own mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health and well being. And eventually I hit not one, but two rock bottoms, one of which was a failed suicide attempt. And that was November 15th of 2015. And that was a turning point for me where what I was doing as a coach took a major pivot. And then I was like, okay, women focused, this stuff is not working for me. I'm going to figure it out for myself. And then when I saw results in my own life, I started sharing it and I saw the need. Like you said, there are many women experiencing it. You know, the intensity of it varies. The exposure to it varies. It may not be them specifically. It could be someone they love, but I just started to see the beautiful results and transformations taking place because of what I endured and had to figure out on my own. And I certainly wasn't going to use the gift of what God had given me and hoarded. 
I'm like, I want to give this away. Every woman I can get my hands on, I want to teach them this stuff because you can live a beautiful life with anxiety, depression, PTSD. You can be in a healthy marriage and still fight and argue. You can go at it with a girlfriend and walk away and take two weeks of silent treatment and come back and just love on each other like crazy. So my why is I don't want women to suffer any longer than they have to, because I know that there are things that will work. And if I can get my hands on you, I want to get that knowledge, that wisdom, these tools in your hands, because that's what you deserve too. What I endured and where I am now has a purpose. And it's not just a small purpose for my life. It's a purpose for every woman that I encounter that this gift could be given to her as well. So that is my why. That is my absolute why. What a beautiful why. I mean, that's just... Bing, bing, bing. I don't know. I feel like you hit the jackpot. Thank you for sharing firstly, because that's a a difficult thing to talk about. And all those things that you were saying just warm my heart because I've had to go through this journey a little bit with Stephanie and I've been on the other side of it. With ours, I mean, this is definitely, I don't like to be the person that's like, I have a story to share as well after you've just shared your story, but I feel like it's appropriate in the context of what we're talking about. I know we've touched on it a little bit, Emily and I, but I would say at this point, we're, we're about mm, six or seven, six months, I think. Well, in June, I started experiencing really intense anxiety and almost it started turning into depression. And I've never really been a depressed person. Depression runs in my family. I have OCD. So that was something that I always struggled with. And anxiety is like, it's like a form of, of that. It's they kind of all live within the same family. I always joke Steph, that they're the creepy friends of anxiety, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> and like, it just, when one is, you know, taking a nap, the other one decides to step in. It's a mess. Yep. It's like, I'm going to turn this car around if you guys don't shut up back there, you know? So, <laughs> so it's accurate. <laughs> oh God, you're telling me. So it got to a point though, where I was starting to, I just felt like life wasn't worth it. And the anxiety was so bad that I would rather not live than to live with how bad I was feeling. And that turned into panic attacks that I thought I had had before. Once you experience a real true, honest to God panic attack, you know what it is. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I've never actually had a real one because you quite literally think you're dying. And I would experience derealization, depersonalization, all of those very scary, like disassociative things because my anxiety would get so high that my body was trying to protect myself. And so I ended up in the hospital twice because the first time I thought I was having heart problems. And then the second time I was getting psychosomatic, like leg shaking. And I thought it was because I was trying an antidepressant because it was prescribed to me by my gynecologist because we thought it was my period, which does have a part to play, but it just turned into something that I could have never expected. And it got to a point after my second hospital stay, I was like, oh, I'm totally fine. I was like, physically, I'm fine. But then that's when the, what if it's mental? What if it's more? And then that just led into two, three weeks. I mean, I texted Emily. I was like, I can't do anything. My mom had to take care of me because I physically didn't know what was going on. I would just be sleeping on the floor because I'd be so distraught with my feelings. And I was afraid of, I was on a hair trigger for everything. And then finally went to the doctor and I was desperate. And I said, I got to get on something because I'm not living. I quit my job. Like I couldn't go back to work. I tried 
cried and I it's like everything around me my world just felt unreal and I was like this is crazy I've never felt this before so I've been on antidepressants but kind of going to your point I always knew that I liked things that were going to get rid of the anxiety right away and I knew what those things were and I had a tendency to go for that most of my life and so I made it very clear that when I start these this is to get me out of this place and that at my year mark which were six months away I will start to wean off and everybody's decision to take meds is totally theirs I don't bash anybody but I wanted to prove to myself that I can do it without the medicine and so I've never raised my dose it's always stayed low so that I can still feel my anxiety to be able to work through it because the only way out is through there's more to that story I'm I'm kind of just picking and choosing certain parts of it but to get to a place where you would rather not feel that bad anymore was heartbreaking and I just remember calling my brother I was at work and I was like yeah I don't know what's going on I was like I just don't want to be here and then he called my parents and then my mom said you have to promise me to call me and tell me when this is happening and I did and it was the first time I ever told my dad because he for the longest time was like that's such a selfish thing to do in a way it is but when you're standing in those shoes it doesn't feel selfish it feels like salvation and it's not but I I never realized that until I was standing there and I was like this is an awful feeling and like I'm so grateful to be where I am right now because I always say life is beautiful if you stick around long enough to be in it and things do get better they always can get better it's really hard there are days where I'm like but life is beautiful and in the days now that I am low I go yeah but remember life is still beautiful and I can move through those days and like have grace and and compassion with myself so thank you for sharing your story with us that's it's a hard place to be not only for you but for the people around you because I know that Emily and I went through it it affected her because she was scared. She didn't know what was happening. Quite frankly, neither did I. I didn't have the verbiage yet to be able to be like, this is what I'm going through. I'm like, dude, I I can barely stare at my phone. Words don't make sense right now. So that leads me to my question for you so that people can kind of get a feel for what we're talking about here. What is anxiety? How would you give that a definition? That's a great question because everyone has anxiety. Being anxious anxiety being triggered is healthy for us. It's our body's way of saying, hey, this is risky. We might need to be on high alert. Let's pay attention. People have testing anxiety. They've worked really hard for something. Now they have to do an assessment of some sort that's going to rate them. And, you know, that can get them anxious and overwhelmed, you know, so it's intense, excessive, persistent worry and fear about everyday situations, relationships, careers. Am I a good mom? Am I a good sister? Am I a good friend? You know, just all of these things. But it's when it is persistent in a way that it starts to invade your ability to think clearly, to think rationally, to be present, to be an active participant in your own life, that it then escalates to something more than a healthy anxiety that everyone experiences. And now it's something that we need to seek help. And sometimes that help may be, you know, one conversation with a doctor or a therapist or a coach, and you start to figure things out and start working through that. You know, for other people, it can be ongoing for so long and we don't know how to articulate it. We don't know how to ask for what we need. So the anxiety then can become like another version of you. Like it's in control. It's making the decisions. It tells you when, how, if all of those things. And all of a sudden it's like an out-of-body experience where like you want something different, but there's this fog and you just, you can't 
can't pinpoint, you can't use your words. You can't even find the words to use in anxiety is just moving through your life. And, you know, like you said, Steph, you know, for you, you reached out that I don't want to be here anymore. I don't feel this bad anymore. And it's not selfish. It's salvation. For me, I didn't view it as selfish either. I viewed it as selfless because I'm a major burden for the people that I love most. And this is not only going to set me free from having to feel all of this, it's going to set them free too. But then that in itself triggered an anxiety that led to panic that then led to taking a bottle of pills. So, you know, there is different types of, of anxieties, but it's really important to understand that it is normal for all of us in stressful situations, you know, in a car accident, you know, when a baby's being born, just stressful, intensive, emotional experience to feel anxious. And that's okay. But pay attention when anxiety is presenting itself in a way that you don't know how to breathe. You don't know how to function. Maybe you don't even get up and function at all. That's when it's time to invite help in. And there's a lot of things that people don't understand about anxiety. It's not about simply worrying and being fearful. It's palm sweating, it's armpits itching, it's throwing up, it's diarrhea, it's not able to breathe, it's heart palpitations, it's trembling, it's blurred vision, it's cotton mouth, loss of speech. There's so many things that pe- I'm getting chills as I talk through this. So many things that people don't understand. And, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about is, you know, from someone's position like yours, Emily, on the outside looking in at Steph and wanting to love her well and support her well, when you don't understand understand it. What does that look like? So, you know, that's what anxiety is. That's what it can escalate to. That's what it can become. And then for some of us, like you and I, Steph, it simply becomes a way of life until it gets to be too hard and something has to happen. And for me, it was a rock bottom that almost ended my life. For you, it was almost a rock bottom, but you were able to ask for help and then stuff started to change for you. So I want to be able to intervene before the rock bottoms happen for the women, because that doesn't need to take place. And and I'm so glad you say that too, because it's true. And I wish more women, men and women, because I think anxiety is one of those things that doesn't discriminate. But since we're specifically talking about women, it's a master con artist. It is so good at convincing you of something you know deep down to be false. And I think what's interesting is that we are not taught that thoughts come and thoughts go. They don't hold any real meaning. Your brain is this really cool machine almost that just does its own thing. Just random thought, you know, and a normal brain, right? I'd use that in quotations because who's normal? Let's be honest. (laughs) I know I'm not. Yeah, right. It's like a normal brain, right? Assigns no meaning to, huh, wonder if I push that lady in the street, she gets hit by a car. Gone. Two seconds, it's gone. No, but it's like, it's just a random. Can I just say that I've literally had thoughts like that though? Like how many people- But you don't assign me. No, but no, it's just a passing thought. I mean, but it's just funny that you bring it up because I've literally thought that. And so somebody- who has more disordered anxiety thinks that and goes, oh my God, wonder if I do it. Have I done it in the past? And then you start to question yourself. And already as women, we are under this magnifying glass of be this way. Don't speak up. Don't be too loud. Don't take up space. Dress this way. So you have to imagine now you're questioning your own mind. It's like you gaslight yourself. And that's that's the wild thing about anxiety. And people don't realize like my big thing 
and everybody's is different. Some people is the physical symptoms. Some people it's the mental symptoms. Some people it's both. Most of the time anxiety will, you'll get over one symptom and then it'll, it'll be like, Hey, how about this one you haven't had yet? And then the cycle starts again. And for me, it was that disconnect of like, everything seemed fake. And once you understand that the brain is literally trying to protect you, it's like your lizard brain, your amygdala is just faulty. And so now you've created this fear, right? This fear has happened. You can untrain it. It's harder to do, but that's what's so awesome about the human brain is that the positions that we get ourselves into is just the wiring of our brain trying to help us and it's faulty, but we can rewire it and we can make it better and retrain ourselves. It's really, really hard, (laughs) but it is so worth it. And so the fact that you're helping women before they get to that point, (laughs) because trust me, man, I just, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm totally fine. I'm just going to drink and smoke and, you know, stay up late and it's all good. And ha ha ha, look at this meme about self-deprecation. All that's well and good to joke around about when it becomes your way of life. It's it's very dysfunctional and your anxiety can't keep up. And then finally, it's like, this chick's gonna like dig herself into a grave. We got to protect her. And then it starts to go into hyperdrive. So my question is, how do you help people not get to that point? And then the second Part of that question is if someone's already gotten to that point, how do you help them scale it down? Yeah. So great questions. You'll probably have to repeat them later because I can get off on these tangents. Um, But yeah, that that disordered thinking that you're referencing, you know, with the cognitive behavior therapy that I do to really scale it back to as simple as possible, situations generate thoughts, thoughts generate emotions, emotions generate behaviors. What happens is the thoughts and emotions generate default behaviors. And for a majority of us, they are reactive. They are unhealthy. They are things that we regret because we can't take back. We can't undo. With the cognitive therapy and working with women who are experiencing anxiety, depression, PTSD, it's about what you said exactly. The thought is a thought. Let's capture the thought. Now let's get real. What do you know to be true? Look at the thought. Is it rational? Is it rooted in truth? Can you prove it? And if not, well, let's investigate. Because from that thought, if you aren't able to see it as just something that comes in and then it can leave and it doesn't have to take root and then there's meaning and then there's action associated with it, that's fantastic. But if it's coming in and anxiety is triggered and all of a sudden these irrational invasive thoughts are now generating how you feel and how you behave, we need to disrupt the trigger. And we disrupt the trigger by capturing the thought and working through it. And sometimes it's basic as saying, look at it for what it is is not what you think it is, not what it could become. Look at it for what it is. And oftentimes that's enough to interrupt it. And then they're breathing, they're grounding themselves, and then their emotions are changing. And now they're building confidence and trust in themselves. So instead of a default behavior, they're able to say, okay, I'm going to process this and I'm going to choose how I respond. I'm going to reach out to a friend and have a conversation. I'm going to mind up and just get it all out because it's not serving me well. I'm going to set up a call with my coach or my counselor or my therapist and talk this through because it's happening time and time again. I need a skill. So that is how we interrupt it. And whether it's someone who's on the verge of getting to that point, these tools are taught to them. If it's someone that's in the midst of it, the work is a little more aggressive, much, much harder. They're more resistant. They want to throw in the towel. It doesn't work. It's not worth it. I'm not worth it. I 
can't do it. I can and never he, get better. My exactly. anxiety's different. It's worse. It's like, yes, no, no, no one's going to understand. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> I got you. Let me tell you, you know, I understand. And we're going to get through this together. So I think there's, there's so much value in a woman who is struggling, understand that someone really sees them and understands them. And they're not going to go anywhere, regardless of how bad it gets. You become this constant unwavering pillar of strength for them to tap into until they're capable of doing it on their own. And then you're there to just cheer them on. So, you know, that cognitive process is so simplistic, but incredibly complex at the same time. So increasing your awareness of the power of our thoughts and what you are capable of doing in the conscious mind when you make a choice to take the thought captive so you can choose to dismiss it because it doesn't have any meaning. It should not take root like pushing someone off a curb or this is coming in time and time again. What is it deeply rooted in? Where is it coming from so I can do the work to actually go through it like you mentioned earlier, Steph, because you can't go around it. You can't step over it. You can try time and time again. Doesn't matter how many pills, how much pot, how much alcohol, shopping, sex, gambling, whatever. At some point, you've got to go through it because that's how the healing takes place. That's how the breaking free takes place. And then you can flourish. Well, and two, if you think about it, right? I'm so sorry, Emily. I realized that you said I like I knew that this was going to happen on this episode. <laughs> I was just going to sit back and let you guys kind of do your, because I am an outside perspective. I don't have anxiety, you know, not anxiety that, you know, triggers me to the point where I can't, you know, disassociate like you, Steph, and it's a different sort of anxiety that I play in my own head. But I wanted you to have this conversation because I knew this would be therapeutic for you and other women out there that are dealing with it. But I have questions of my own, but I will eventually get there and we will get there and I'm enjoying the ride. So continue asking your questions. This was all for you, baby. So do you find that self-compassion is something that you really have to pull out of your clients? Because I don't know that we have that really as women. We don't. I mean, we have compassion for others all day long, but when it comes to ourselves, it's like, I'm sorry, what is that? I don't, where do I find that definition? my own advice? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, about week three in my program, I do a self-compassion assessment. So there's a workbook that they go through, questions that they answer that will identify if they're more focused on self-criticism or self-compassion. It also helps to identify if they understand and can show up to comfort, soothe, protect themselves from a place of self-compassion that is healthy. One of the things that I teach, and you kind of spoke to this a little bit, Steph, is it's important that that you can say, I feel anxious. I feel sad and you experience it, but you don't become it. That's empowerment. That is when you are disengaging the control and power and authority that these emotions have over you. And you're saying there is space for you. Yes. I feel sad today. Or I feel freaking angry. I'm going to go throw socks at the wall. I'm going to sit in my car and scream at the top of my lungs. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to be full force. And then you and I are going to go our separate ways. I've experienced you. I'm not going to become you. And that's huge because you can only do that from a place of self-compassion. What happens is we are embarrassed. We feel guilty and shameful when these dark, heavy emotions consume us. And instead of experiencing them and giving space for them to kind of coexist, we shut them down. You know, we stuff them away. We try to run and hide and and not recognize that they're there. And that's when they gain momentum that feeds them, that fuels them. And then it's like a snowball rolling down the hill. You know, you're standing at the bottom 
whatever emotion it is that you're ignoring, you're suppressing, you're trying to just, it rolls down and it will bulldoze you over. And then you're like, crap, now what? And it doesn't have to be like that. So, you know, these emotions that we feel, they're all valid. And that's another thing that comes from self-compassion. My husband will say, why are you sad? I don't have the answer to that question. I'm not sad. I feel sad. And he knows how to respond to that now, but I don't feel guilty or shameful. I don't have the answer. That's okay. I'm going to cry. There's going to be snot and tears and it's going to be bad, but it's temporary because like you said, I'm okay. Even in this dark moment, the ugly cry, and I don't look like Carrie Underwood when I do the ugly cry, I'm okay. I am safe. And I, from self-compassion, have been able to convince myself of that truth. So when anxiety, OCD, depression, any of those creepy friends, self-doubt, limiting beliefs, toxic talk, try to convince me otherwise, I can say, hey, I appreciate your opinion, but it doesn't have any value here because it's not true. And I can shut it down. So I could just kiss you right now. I love all of this. (laughs) She's only on the other side of Florida. It would only be a two and a half hour drive. So you guys are talking about from self-experience. I experience anxiety in a different way. And Steph and I have spoken about this. My anxiety stems from, oh my gosh, this is due in three weeks, which means I need to get it done right now. I cannot give myself any time because I will then sit on the couch and be like watching maybe five minutes of a TV show and I get up and I have to do something. I cannot let myself to wait. Waiting is is not good for me. So that, and Stephanie works very differently because her anxiety comes in in a different way. So it's interesting that we team up because we're so different how we work. So Stephanie's anxiety will come in by procrastination. And she's like, this is due tomorrow. I'm going to wait until five minutes before. And then I have anxiety about, oh my God, it's never going to get put up. And it just becomes a vicious If I'm going to be anxious, you're going to be anxious. Yeah, it's just like, it's this vicious cycle of just us not working on the same time frame, which is fine because Stephanie doesn't have to work on my, it needs to be done three weeks in advance. I, I guess my question is, and I already know the answer, but for those people that maybe are out there listening and are more like me, are there different types of anxiety? Can it show up in different ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's this overarching term, you know, of anxiety and all of a sudden everybody fits under it. And comments that even I used to make in the past that I hear people say is, oh, I need a Xanax. And for me, that that's a trigger because when I said I need a Xanax, it was a handful of them coupled with some other things. And then later it was washed down with a glass of wine or two or three. So, you know, anxiety can come in waves. You can have situational anxiety where, and a great example is when my grandmother was passing, my aunt who does not have a diagnosed anxiety disorder, she has just regular healthy anxiety. It was consuming her and it was situational. The doctor gave her something to help her temporarily, not a high dose. So I wanted to kind of call out as I'm talking about this too, Steph, you self-advocating for yourself and saying like, I'm going to use this to get me through this, but I want to feel, I want to be present. I want to experience it. I, I need it to be manageable, but I want to go through it. And the medication can help you do that as long as you're speaking up and self-advocating. So once my grandmother passed and you know there was some grieving and healing, she no longer needed the medication. It was temporary. So there's situational anxiety. There's anxiety that is associated with phobias. There's testing anxiety. There's you know generalized anxiety disorder. You know there's different forms of anxiety. And you know right now Emily, yours is healthy anxiety. Like 
girl, just let's get done. Put your big girl panties on. We got a deadline. Let's do it. For Steph and I, we're like, yeah, we're just going to overthink and procrastinate. And we're just going to let that spiral. And then about 10 minutes before we're going to crank it up. We're going to produce something great. And we're okay with that. You know what I mean? So it's about finding a balance, but really it's, it's recognizing what your needs are and being able to say like, you know, Hey Steph, I know you don't work like this. I really need to get to work on this. Steph can say, I support that totally. I'm still going to procrastinate. I'm waiting until five minutes before Emily's saying, Steph, that's great. No problem. We're going to figure it out. You know what I mean? And that's, that's healthy. We just had this conversation. Yeah. We just had a meeting the other day and Emily was like, are you in this thing? And I was like, what? Yeah, of course. And then we opened up the floor to have this conversation about like, look, I said, I'm not going to do things three months in advance. She's like, and I don't want to do things the day before. Can I have a week before? And I said, you know what? That's totally doable. And I'm now getting, I texted her today. I was like, Hey, thank you for being patient. Cause now I'm getting into the new format of giving myself. Okay. I am responsible for this a week ahead of time. I don't necessarily want to do it, but now I'm trying to uncover why is it that I don't want to do it a week before? Cause I don't want to overthink it. I don't, cause if I do it five minutes before, I don't have any time to do that. But now this is my exposure and my practice of I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to send it and it's okay if it's not perfect. I yeah. Don't have to. Let me interject a tool here for you, Steph. This is something super quick and easy. When you feel like you're procrastinating and just kind of avoiding wanting to engage in something, use the sunburst method. So in the center of the sunburst is like the main emotion, the main thought, like the big thing, and then branch off of that, everything that comes to mind without overthinking it, feel yourself having to think you stop. And then you step back, take a couple deep breaths, then you go to it and actually look at it. And you will be amazed at what you start to see unfold. There will be themes, there will be consistencies, things that you're not aware of, but doing that quick exercise cognitively forces you to document, capture, but not overthink. And then you come back to it to spend some time with it and see what's unfolding before you. Really helpful. I love that. No, you better believe I'm going to try it. I love everything about anxiety recovery. I've always been a mental health advocate, but like, I don't know, I think going through it like this, I've realized that it's not just something I'm doing because I'm like, oh, I got to get better, but I've actually found myself enjoying the education of it, but also enjoying being able to help other people with it. Cause it's something that I think is said there's such a stigma and nobody wants to talk about it. And because they think it's really weird, I'm going to be very honest and a little bit vulnerable. One of my biggest fears is insanity. And so sometimes my anxiety will manifest and it mimics other disorders. People don't realize that, that anxiety can mimic other things if you get to a certain point. It's just your nervous system. Sometimes I'll get really nervous if my vision will start to blur. I'll be like, oh my God. But now I'm getting to a point where I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, if I do, I'm not going to know what's happening. So cool beans, bring it on, man. I got to make this sandwich. And I think learning again, learning to play with it, learning to let it have space lets it dissipate faster. I don't even know where that I'm not, I'm just, I'm like, wait, there's so many things that we need to talk about, but kind of going back to what you were originally saying about finding that, that middle ground, something big that I've realized in recovery is it's not other people's responsibility to tailor their actions around my anxiety. And I think for the longest time I used that, like, well, I have anxiety. Okay. Well, anxiety was starting to become a personality trait. And it got to a point where it's like, I'm more than my anxiety, which is going to lead me to, I think this is, we've talked about us going through anxiety, but how can people be supportive of loved ones going through it? Now flipping the script to Emily. 
this is this was a big one for me because I saw. I mean, not to divulge too much, and I'm sorry, Steph, for speaking no, no, divulge story, whatever. I mean, but like, no, speak your truth. For months, I saw Stephanie taking in these lies, just lies that she was telling me. Everything's fine. It's fine. And I would be like, okay, you know, like I, I didn't. How do you bring it up? How do you, how do you talk to somebody and be like, hey, I think you're lying. Like, do you just outright say it? I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe she's just going through something. It's a phase, whatever it was. But I, it just kept happening, and I kept seeing her diminish herself and who she was and who I love Stephanie to be and who she is. So it was confusing for me, but nerve wracking in a lot of respects. Cause you know, we're besides being best friends and sisters, we host this and I didn't want this to end. And it was very frightening. And then it came at a time of like when the, when it was ready to erupt, it came at a time when I was literally leaving town for the first time since COVID had happened. And she was supposed to watch my dad's dog. And like, it was just, it. and she was like, I can't do it. And it was literally two days before we were leaving. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. I can't be mad at you because you're, you're going through something, but I'm now I'm stuck in a position where did I do the right thing? Should I brought this up sooner when I saw the first, the beginning signs of it? So how, how do somebody like me who doesn't have an all consuming anxiety, as you said, it's a healthy anxiety that I just go through. How do, how do I help? How do we help? Yeah. A couple of things here. I think, you know, that kind of guilt and worry and that just genuine concern is normal on your part. And you spoke up when it was right for you to speak up. How you spoke up doesn't matter, but when it was right for you, you spoke up. So don't feel the guilt that you should have done something sooner because that will consume you and it can just be incredibly destructive. But Steph talked about ownership. For those of us with anxiety, depression, PTSD, any of these mental disorders, it's important for us to take ownership of it. So our responsibility is to do the hard work to understand it, figure out what our needs are, and then get crazy confident communicating those needs with the people who love us and want to love us well. So you not knowing how to respond to Steph is partially Steph's responsibility. That's where she fell short, but she didn't fall short because she didn't want to share with you. She didn't know how. So the key is when you have someone experiencing these things and what frustrates me, because you know positive psychology is what I love, but one of the things that frustrates me in the industry is you can't positivity it away. Sometimes it has to be a hard truth. Like Steph, sit down. I need you to shut up. You need to hear me because whatever this is, I don't like it. It's not okay. This may be painful. It's coming from a place of love, but you've got to figure this out. You know what I mean? So sometimes it takes that, that aggressive approach. Steph probably would have collapsed. I hate you. You're awful. I'm not worth anything. I'm crying. Like it could go that far, but it's understanding that it has to come from a place of love. Sometimes you have to be aggressive and just kind of in their face with an intervention type approach. And that may be a pivotal moment for someone like Steph or myself to say, man, like I got to do some work. I can't continue like this because now it's not just me that it's impacting. It's everybody around me. And oftentimes we don't know that. So you get to that point where, okay, here's what's happening. I'm doing the work. I mean, it's, it's been years for me as well. And now 
my husband, my daughter I have two girlfriends that know exactly how to respond when it's happening because it still happens. And that's one of the things, Steph, you had talked about. I don't remember specifically what you said, but I wanted to bring up the, the incredibly important point that you will always live with anxiety. That won't change. The triggers will always exist. What does change through your healing and recovering is how you respond, how quick you recover. And if someone tells you, hey, we can fix this, you won't be anxious your entire life, bull crap. If it's situational and it's a temporary thing, quite possibly true. But it doesn't mean when a situation like that comes again, you're not going to experience it again. You learn how to respond to your needs, to what's happening, and you change the trajectory of your life by being willing to show up do the hard work. And then, like I said, getting crazy confident to communicate what your needs are to other people. So we're talking about <laughs> compassion and self-compassion and having compassion for others. So what does women empowerment mean to you? You know, women empowerment, like when I think of show rise in the community, it's really about meeting women where they are as they are. It's judgment free. There's no criticism. It's about loving them completely and then being there to help them see what they can't see as possible and supporting them as they start to figure it out and encourage them to keep going because, you know, wisdom is empowering. Taking risk is empowering. Success is empowering, but failure should be empowering. Mistakes should be empowering. You know, it all depends on those circles of influence that you create for yourself. And, you know, you can be empowered and you have the ability to empower. And it's really about meeting people. And we talk about women all the time, because that's my passion. It's your passion. But you know, when it comes to anxiety, empowerment, I mean, men need it too. There's no discrimination. You know what I mean? So it's about understanding that you can come as you are. I will love the heck out of you to help you see what's possible, break free from whatever crap is keeping you stuck in that moment, that season, that circumstance circumstance so that you can feel confident and trust yourself to take just one bold, courageous, freaking scary step forward and start to embrace what, what you're capable of. So that's, that's empowerment to me. I love that. You said all oh, so many good things that that's it. It was just so good. I I've got nothing. Yeah. It mic dropped. So then my last question for you is what advice would you give your 15 year old self? Oh gosh, I would tell her to speak up. And some of these things I still have to tell myself, my 47 year old self today, people pleasing is not meant for you. It's not meant for anybody. It's not even possible. So speak up, say no, protect your peace. If it doesn't feel right, look right, shut it down, step away. You have the ability to use your voice in a way that matters. And, you know, the people pleasing, wanting to serve all people and sacrificing what you need is not okay. And like I said, I still have to remind myself of that as my 47 year old self. But when I look at back at that 15 year old version, you know, some of the things that she was exposed to and right down to being assaulted by a physician, you know, just not knowing that I could throw a punch or scream or, you know, if, if I was being used and manipulated to be like, you know what, this is not okay. You don't know what to do. Figure it out. Like that's, that's what I would tell her. Speak up. Don't worry about people pleasing. Cause it's not possible. It will drain you. It will exhaust you. It will destroy you. Take care of you. I'm still working on that. Yeah. And right. I'm still working on it. <laughs> 
something I'm still working on day in, day out, because I typically put others before myself. And it's just something that I was, I, I learned from a young age, because I saw it in my family. It was learned behavior that I'm trying to now unlearn. And that's, and that's totally okay. And I can honor that and give myself the space and the grace that I need when I'm in that space. And my husband is so good. And he'll call me out and be like, Hey, you seem a little wired. Did you take time for yourself today? Like it literally just happened the other day. And I go, no, I haven't taken any time. He goes, can you please sit on the couch for, you know, five minutes and do something for you? And I, and I appreciate him for that because sometimes you literally you're in a glass room and there's mirrors everywhere and you don't know which way's out and you need somebody to just point the light in the right direction. So thank you. I knew this conversation would be, I think, therapeutic for Stephanie. And I was really looking forward to doing that for her because I know this is something that we wanted to open up and talk about on the podcast. So, so thank you, Mel, for taking time, but Steph, you take it away. (laughs) I mean, I just loved the ever loving fill in the blank out of this conversation. And I want other people to be able to discover what you're doing for other women. So where can people find you? And do you have any projects coming up that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yes. Yeah. So Instagram is like my favorite place to hang out. So Melanie underscore D underscore Wilson is my Instagram. And then there's a link in the bio to connect with me and it will plug you into all the other places, Clubhouse, Facebook, all the things. And I just love the opportunity to connect and get to know people. So it doesn't always mean that connecting with me means it then has to evolve into actual coaching and so forth. It's just about having someone in your corner. So I love those opportunities, but a couple things that are coming up. March is our annual show rise retreat. It's taking place here in Fort Myers. It's called rescued, renewed, restored, just an amazing weekend of reflecting and hard work and rest and rejuvenation and pampering and kayaking down the orange river with the chance to see manatee. It's going to be really spectacular. And God is calling me to pivot with show rise. So there's some changes that are going to be announced. Some things are being scaled back. Some things are being reworked and are launching and that's going to create space. I'm going to say it out loud. Oh my gosh, that's going to create space to actually bring my book to fruition. That is amazing. That's thrilling. That's very exciting. I just said that out loud. Listen, when you're it all drop, I'm in, I'm in line, take my money. Here it is now. (laughs) So I'm ready. I want to read it. I am beyond thrilled for you. And this all I mean, everything that we're doing on this podcast has led us to this moment. And I do believe that whatever your spirituality is, whatever your terminology preference is, the universe has a plan for all of us. And I think if we stop and take time to reflect, we're going to hear what it has to tell us. And I think that voice sometimes needs to come from within. And that's why it's so important to cultivate self-love, to be kind to yourself, compassionate to yourself, and to find those communities that allow you to show up as you and then just add on top of that. So I so appreciate you taking the time and I'm so excited for all of your ventures. I will definitely be first in line and I will be messaging you just randomly for stuff because this was just such a a, a refreshing conversation to have, especially at this point in my recovery. It's just nice to know that there are people doing the work that you are doing. So thank you very, very much 
from one anxious gal to another. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been an honor. And like I said, I'm grateful that there are women like you blazing a trail to hold space for these kinds of conversations, because the more we talk about it, the less power the stigma has. And the more women that will be like you and I, who can say I'm in recovery, I am healing as opposed to just allowing anxiety to be in the driver's seat. That five-year-old knows nothing about driving with the keys in the driver's seat of your life. <laughs> Can't even reach the yeah. pedals. I know. So I appreciate it so much. Well, before we wrap it up, I want to thank all of our beautiful listeners, those who are new and those who are old. We appreciate you sticking around. And if you don't know, on our website, uh, www.cyclechats.com, we have a blog where Emily and I talk about all sorts of fun topics. And it's more of a personal spin on what we think each of these issues are, topics are, all that good stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, where we hope to cultivate a beautiful little cycle cat community who can just take up space come authentically as yourself there's no filters needed you come as you talk to us we love we love that so make sure you check out our website make sure you check out mel thank you so much for joining us i mean i could sit here and you know stroke your feathers all day and it would be my pleasure so thank you for everything thank you everyone for listening and we hope you sync up with us next time <laughs>